0: I think reproductive justice advocates did it the best when they came together to be like, there's no way we're just going to focus on people having an abortion solely. We actually need to focus on the whole fight for economic justice that fights for safe schools, that fights for safe streets, where people can choose how they want to parent, if they want to parent, when they want to parent. And if they do decide to be parents, how do they live dignified lives while being a parent?
1: Greetings, listeners. This is The Sound Bath, and I am Aja Monet. This show is brought to you by Lush Cosmetics, and I'm so excited for this conversation today. Our conversation is with Sharman Hussain, a Bangladeshi American queer Muslim and the campaign director of Liberate Abortion, crafting a bold new vision for abortion justice that is intersectional and future-focused, She currently serves on the advisory board of the North Star, pushing for ambitious policies, cultural change and movement infrastructure towards gender justice. I look forward to a time where the values and the things that we portray in this country actually exist for all people. And I hope that you find a way to get involved and to support those who can give birth at this time more than ever. We need comrades. We need co-conspirators. We need solidarity movement for people to be able to have access to basic human rights. Abortion is health care. And I hope that this conversation serves as a way to get involved. Let's get into the show. Charmin, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really honored to be in conversation with you. I think that the best way to begin that we try to is just to kind of, I guess, check in and see how you're feeling, how your heart's doing, what's going on in your head space. Just, yeah, how you're doing right now.
0: Thank you, Aja. I had the blessing of seeing you when I was a young poet at the New York Inn. So it's beautiful to be here with you today.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. You know, my heart went to the land after the road decision. So I got to know what folks know as the John Muir Trail this last couple of weeks. It's actually known to the Indigenous people of the land, the Paiute tribes as the Numupoyo. So I got to go to the land and just be in retreat and be in silence and really reflect on how much we don't know of what's to come, but also what we do know, our our habits, our communities, the people that are going to have our backs during a moment where all of our civil rights are being impeded on, you know? So I just felt blessed to learn from the land and the people of the land. And I felt like we got ourselves, you know, and I think I needed that reminder.
1: Mm, That's wonderful. Yeah. It's so necessary. I'm wondering... You know, been thinking a lot about several things during this time, but wondering as we begin the conversation, how do you see yourself, or what is the best way that you like to identify in the world? How do you feel you want folks to see you in the world?
0: Oftentimes, uh, a Virgo would reply with their job, but I think mm-hmm. lately I've been transitioning into looking at myself as a Bangladeshi Muslim organizer, but somebody who's like. Fighting for Divine Justice. I am a Sufi and I go with the music of the land and the art of the land and definitely a seeker of beauty in all things. Born and raised in New York, so definitely have so much history and radical poetry that has determined my life journey. Um, and I see myself as a connector, a connector of resources, a connector of ideas and an incubator for the good ideas that need to be grown upon and and last lifetimes. Mm.
1: Wow, that's wonderful. Well, you know, it's really amazing to hear and read about the work that you do around abortion rights and women's rights to choose or those who can have abortions, right? Those who carry wombs. I think that we're finding ourselves in a really, really scary, intimidating time. And while that is the case, I find that often in these moments, it's when we need to pull together and when we need most to reach out and mobilize with one another. And so I wanted to know what has animated your activism, your will, your strength, your passion for this work? What was your entry point into protecting, defending, and advocating for the rights of women and those who can carry children to choose.
0: You know, I think growing up in New York, you end up always fighting for all the things, whether you're, you know, skipping school and trying to avoid truancy or one of your girlfriends is in an abusive relationship and needs you to take them to the abortion clinic, you know? And I think being a Muslim woman that saw a lot of domestic violence and social stigma around women that decided to cover their hair and wear hijab just really shaped me to be a rabble rouser. I was raised by a father who was a socialist organizer during the Bangladeshi Liberation War. We were a people that escaped genocide in 1971, when the Pakistani military colonized and occupied our land. And my father being a socialist, and my mother being a woman fighting against patriarchy, just kept me informed on how important anti-war was to a politic of care. And so as I was growing into learning about the war on terror during the Bush era and the U.S.'s trillion dollar military spending budget, I just knew that there was a critical connection between the status of our communities, homelessness, and the lack of political education, the lack of resources, and domestic violence shelters to the fact that our country was a war state. Our country was in perpetual war and empires across the world would rather spend money on war than the well-being of our people. And so when I was in high school, I got recruited to join a political organization that did counter military recruitment work. So we went around convincing young people of color to not join the military because at that time, Bush's poverty draft was in effect and we saw the ways young people of color was signing away their lives to join the military for education, for jobs, for health care. And so what we did was dispel the myths of the military and really pull the curtain on the U.S.'s imperial projects and Iraq and Afghanistan. And so that anti-war politic just really activated me to think about the whole ecosystem of social justice around how to think about funding for schools and hospitals while we think about the types of electeds we want and the types of community organizations we need to grow. I saw anti-war as an entry point and then later saw how important reproductive justice was to my daily life. Just because everyone around me um, at the time, a lot of my friends were young, straight, South Asian women. were all in abusive relationships they were all in relationships that needed help and i as a young muslim woman would often be the person that people called if they needed to break up with their partner or if they needed birth control or if they just needed to ask a question and so i got educated around reproductive rights health and access just because i needed to I would go to Planned Parenthood with my friends and take all the pamphlets and just read up on the things that I needed to know. Just because I knew that there are people that do not have the language access or the time or the freedom to get, get these resources. I found out fun facts like, you know, in New York City, you actually don't need consent from your parents to get reproductive health and access health care. So, I loved telling my friends that. I was like, Did you know you could go to Planned Parenthood and, like, literally your parents will never find out that, like, no letter will be sent to your house? You can get on mm-hmm. birth control. Like, all of these fun facts were things I would share with my friends. And, you know, I, I feel like as the reproductive justice movement was growing, abortion funds were growing. Organizations like Planned Parenthood were finally addressing the questions of racial equity and white supremacy within their organizations. And I felt like there was a time and a space finally for a queer Muslim woman to be a part of organizations that really reconciled with the legacies of white supremacy, but actively fought to build another world. And so Mm. here I am a decade plus later as a reproductive justice organizer with my roots deeply in just what our community needed.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that. It's really interesting to hear about all the ways that you find yourself connected to this work. And something I wanted to bring up that I think we don't talk about, I mean, there's so many facets to terminate a pregnancy that I think people don't consider, think about. One of the things that I know as someone who has had to experience this very difficult decision is that you know within Chicago at the time at which I had to experience my first you know ever interaction with an abortion clinic it was still legal for people to be protesting outside in front of the clinic right near the doors <laughs> as you're walking in and i know that that continues to be an experience that many women face as they even try to attempt to even consider going to a clinic and just getting through that can be such a traumatic experience
0: mm-hmm. that
1: people don't really fully understand as you know there's right-wing conservatives uh, you know assaulting or attacking or just verbally abusing people as they're walking in. And so I wanted to know what has been your experience with clinics and organizing around clinics, educating people around the actual process of going to a clinic to get an abortion. What have you learned and what have you witnessed and observed? in this work as women try to even just walk through the doors of a clinic?
0: I think the story that you shared around your experience of even walking into the clinic is something that has been going on for a decade plus within this country. You know, we think about George Tiller, an abortion provider who was murdered by a white supremacist decades ago. This country has a history of white supremacists attack upon people seeking care and their power has only grown as local district judges, as police officers refuse to protect and care for people that are seeking care. And I think it's really scary that a decade ago, I was doing abortion clinic escort work in the Bronx that was actively getting targeted by the local church and State funded groups like crisis pregnancy centers. And these people are some of the most, I would say, horrifying personalities that you meet that are yelling at you, berating you, and making you feel bad for seeking care. And these people are there every single day, morning till the time that clinics are closed, to the point that clinic staff are often scared. When I worked at Planned Parenthood, we had to have some of the strongest security firms making sure that staff were able to get in and out without being verbally assaulted and physically attacked by these protesters. And they would be Mm. sitting outside with their rosary beads and their Bibles, really bringing up all of these horrifying images to really impact people as they walked in and out of these care centers. And... I think what's wild is that most of these personalities that are making your life difficult when you're on your way to a clinic will likely seek abortion care or reproductive health care at some point in their life. That all of these Republicans that are banning and restricting abortion access have mistresses that are actively also getting reproductive health care, right? And I think that that truth of this country is something that we as organizers have always reckoned with the fact that this country needs to imagine something outside of this death cult that is white supremacy and this death cult of white supremacy is impacting everybody across the board you know poor white people and poor black folks latino folks indigenous folks in these communities they are people with low incomes. They're people that are living in rural areas that are already facing great barriers to quality health care. They're facing barriers to child care. They're facing barriers to job opportunities. These bans, they deny the most marginalized communities the right to control their bodies and futures. These bans are also racist. They are heteropatriarchical. They're anti-Black. And all of these bans are going to do is make it harder for people to live healthy lives. Restricting Mm -hmm. access, it only drives pregnant people to unsafe methods, right? So each year, over 44,000 people are dying from unsafe abortions, like according to The Who. Millions are suffering permanent injuries. And so the way we see abortion care in this country is the way healthcare is. It's hard to get to... Most people in America don't have a primary care physician. Most people in America are actually going to the ER if they need emergency health care, right? And that to me is a critical piece of this puzzle, that until we have economic justice and gender justice, the way we treat birthing people and families is the way that we are going to see inequalities play out. And I think that, you know, the Black maternal mortality crisis is also something that we're seeing, that Black women are finding it harder to get health care in a country that has the odds set against them. And so all of these inequities are are a part of the abortion experience. So just as like it's hard to get a day off from work, it's hard to get child care, it's hard to even go physically to the clinic if the clinic is an hour and a half, two hours away And if you get an abortion procedure, you need hotel care. You need to take off the next day from work if you're getting a procedure done. All of those things are the abortion experience in America. And when you're talking about how hard it is, it's everything. It's everything from booking the appointment to following through and actually getting there and then being met Mm -hmm. with hostility, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of, folks assume that the decision is an easy one. And even when someone's very certain that they don't want to have a child, there's so much that comes with how the world treats you or how you are treated in that process. Because, yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, liberate abortion. It's about more than just protecting the legal right to an abortion, right? So I, I guess what I'm wondering is, what else do you believe in light of the country focusing specifically on women's right to choose and folks who can birth, what are other things that you feel like are part of this fight, this struggle? What are other ways that people can be showing up to support women and people identify as women as well as non-binary folks who have the ability to have children? What are the ways that we can be showing up better in in society, in the different relationships that we have with people? What are some of the things that you feel excited about that feminists are introducing into the political discourse? of our country right now. We think about intersectionality. And I know that visibility has become one of the tools of capitalism to divorce us from the real political conditions, material conditions of our people, right? But what are the things that we see feminism is inserting in the political discourse of the day Mm -hmm. that is activating and mobilizing people around real material conditions that we must change? Like, How do you feel that that has been a big part of the work that you are doing?
0: Yeah, I I am so inspired by all of the reproductive justice advocates that are connecting the criminalization of people that are seeking care to our fight for bodily autonomy that is going to be free of stigma. And so Mm. right now, there are so many people that are shouting out loud what an abortion is. And demystifying some of the myths around abortion. I meet mm. many women of color that feel scared about getting either birth control or an abortion because of hormones, for example. And so for us, it's deep education around A, what are hormones? Your body always has hormones, and destigmatizing some of the impacts of having an abortion or getting a birth control. And so that educational resources is a critical part of this. People should go to ineedana.com if they want to learn how to direct people to care, especially in states where we're seeing bans and restrictions. And ineedana.com doesn't collect your data, so you are safe from any type of surveillance that the state may be gearing up towards, given the criminalization of people that are seeking care in places that are actively banning access. And so Mm. we really are looking to fight for these cities and these local folks to get care right now. And you can go to abortionfunds.org to find out about which local abortion fund you can get support from if you're looking for care. And beyond that, we really need to think about local, state, and federal policymakers that are going to advance abortion justice policies, right? And that means creating legal avenues for patients and providers to protect themselves against anti-abortion protesters and entities, to protect providers who are assisting people to have abortions, to protect people that are going to be looking for abortion care on the Internet, right? And so we want to remove law and immigration enforcement from medical and healthcare settings. We want to ensure people can safely travel for abortion care and provide culturally competent abortion care. And while we do that, we, we have been uplifting um, Keep Our Clinics, which is a campaign that invests in clinic and provider in- infrastructure. And so for people that really want to get involved in abortion justice work, Um, making sure that people have the information they need and then tell their stories so we're actively demystifying, but also investing in abortion funds and clinics that are open because their staff are going to need all the love and support they can get leading up to this public health crisis um, is, is key right now. And, you know, there are some brilliant campaigns that have started to get people um, involved in abortion doula programs. So you can become an abortion doula that helps support people get access to an abortion. So you can get trained up and then help people with self managed abortions, help people get pills by mail. Um, and that work is just as urgent because all our relationships and all the people around us are really scared right now. They're scared about what will happen if they Google how to get an abortion. And they're scared about the aftermath of a procedure. So for us, it's just making sure that like, A, people have the support they need, but also we're actively doing the policy work to chip away at these bans and restrictions.
1: Yeah, I think people forget that democracy only works if we participate. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And so participating on every level is so important and crucial. It's a form of care. You know, it's a form of... Self-care, collective care, being, being involved and participating is if only for the selfish need to be able to get back to peace with yourself, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be at peace and not be bothered, get involved so that you can be. But yeah. all these issues will show up on your doorstep if you allow them to continue without any sort of participation.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I struggle a lot with like asking people to go vote um, because we didn't vote in the Supreme Court you know, but we had the most historic turnout for elections in the history of this country when we voted in Joe Biden. And I think a lot of people want to see progressives and electeds really fight for these human rights that we believe we have a right to. But I think that that requires us to really look at the history of this country and know that this constitution and the Supreme Court and the, the executive um, Arm, they are not grounded in values of liberation, right? That these these facets were all built on enslaved people's labor and you know the the decimation of indigenous rights and land. And so for me, it's like yes, people are always going to go vote, people are going to turn out, and we need much more political participation in that arena. But to act like those solutions will solve the crisis that we have at hand is also not true, you know? Our people have been voting and, and and look at the condition of their lives.
1: Yeah. I think when I think of participating, I think of participating as in you vote in the many ways that you show up, you know? By how you spend your dollar, where yep. you go, what you, you know what 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 films you support what you know artists you listen to i mean a lot of ways that we show mm-hmm. our participation and like how we actually care and actively show up i wanted to ask you something that might be a little controversial but i don't know when i think about abortion i think about the actual act of people mm-hmm. terminating a pregnancy for sure but i also think about the act of women and those who identify as women um that 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 it's tied to Sexual liberation, the ability to explore one's sexuality, the ability to have access to a lot of other things that have nothing to do with terminating a pregnancy, right? So, we're talking about proper access to, I wanna say, birth control, et cetera. And there's more than, there's more forms of birth control than just the pill, Mm -hmm. which is another thing that I think has become really taboo in our society. Like, well, what about the vasectomies? What about Mm -hmm. men getting birth control? What is going on with that? And I think, While there's so much effort and experimentation, all this stuff to regulate women's bodies, we have yet to fully explore what does it mean for men to take responsibility for their bodies in some way, shape or form. People identify as men and those who those with penises. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Let me mm -hmm. just say that there's a lot that's not really taught about one controlling one's body urges, sexual urges. What is Understanding how to be in relationship with someone, how to to talk about consent, like all these things around sexuality and creating a comfortable, normalized Mm -hmm. culture of having conversation around sexuality is clearly tied to the right to choose and abortion rights. I think the assumption that and this is a, a misnomer and it's also like a real miseducation with men who believe that birth control is the solution to their irresponsible behavior and their lack of accountability on their sexual partnerships and relationships, because the assumption is, well, why aren't you on birth control? And right. I thought you were on birth control. This is kind of the conversation and narrative that plays out with cis hetero relationships, particularly r- around women. And so what I find to be frustrating about that conversation is that how do we get a public and, a, and a, create a public and a, and a society that doesn't just leave the responsibility of preventing a child being born on the person who carries a womb or who has the ability to have a child, right? Right. Um, How do we shift that conversation and what does birth control look like for cis heterosexual men? Like, why is that not becoming a part of the public discourse in relationship to women's right to choose and sexuality? Because I think that part of that feels like shaming And what I feel like partly happens in that conversation is there's no real accountability to the fact that, especially for Black women, poor women, women of color, that birth control in this country and often many things that happen in women's bodies has been tested and experimented at the expense of poor Black and brown and Indigenous people. We have yet to fully understand the impact that birth control is having on women's psyche and bodies and relationships to their health. So I think part of what I'm wondering, is there work being done and what work can be done to start to popularize and normalize those who identify as men, cis, heterosexual men, and those who have the ability to impregnate a, a, a person? How do we create a society where they have to be accountable and they're educated on, on their own role in, contr- in birth control? How do we democratize yeah. birth control? How do we make birth control not just the role of people who can birth?
0: yeah. Yeah, no, I I hear that. And I think that being able to have providers and doulas and people who have the medical information and the ability to really break down for us what different types of birth control are available and which ones have different impacts depending on what kind of body you have, it is something that as this country trips away at our resources, like a lot of states like Texas and Oklahoma don't even have sexual education curriculum, right? A sexual Mm -hmm. health curriculum at Mm -hmm. their public schools. And I think that all of this is going to create a more patriarchal society where men and people who are able to get people pregnant are not actively taking accountability for their roles in these systems. And I think a lot about survivors that are living at the intersections of multiple oppressions and their consequences are grave. People who are in abusive relationships, they're more vulnerable to sexual assault, birth control sabotage, reproductive coercion or control, or misinformation about their reproductive rights. And I think about a lot how these are the people that we're going to really need to equip with the tools and the ability to have shelters and places to go because We don't live in a society where men are being encouraged to take accountability for their roles within these systems. We live in a carceral society where men are being pushed into prisons and are criminalized for behaviors, you know? And I think that that shift in society is something that's happening at the local level where I'm seeing a lot of people take on the labor of letting men know about what a vasectomy is and letting them know that, like hey, it's a non-invasive procedure that you can get within your lifetime to protect yourself and people you love. I saw that proactiveness with the PrEP campaign, you know, when PrEP was hitting the streets for people in New York, it was so beautiful to see people be like, yeah, I know what PrEP is and I'm actively going to take this pill to keep me and my sexual partners safe, you know? And I think grassroots campaigns led by public health officials at the city level are one of the main ways we can do it because you have to think about access and you have to think about it being free. You have to think about it being available in multiple languages and marketed towards those people that are sexually active, that need to get their sexual health in check in order to make sure that they're making safer spaces for their partners.
1: Wow, yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Your responses have been on point. (laughs) I really appreciate your insight into this. I just think that it's such a complicated, nuanced thing, but it's also not. It's very straightforward. (laughs) And sometimes we make things that are very straightforward, super complicated. Mm -hmm. And then in this society, I'm wondering what ways we can all take responsibility for what's at play so that we can actually all get involved and be a part of the solution because it's exciting. I think sometimes we see these things as these overbearing, impossible things that we can't attain or can't do anything about or change. And yet I think we forget our power and the beauty of being a citizen and a human being of this planet where we have the ability and the agency to make a difference and change the conditions of of our world once we decide to do it together. And sometimes what often happens is that we see an issue and we say, oh, well, that's that person's issue because this is something that directly impacts them in a way that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that Once we can understand what it actually takes to bring a life into this world, we can maybe have a little bit more compassion for one another. I think a big frustration that I've had is that sometimes within feminism and within the conversation around our differing identities as women or people who identify as women is that like we assume that all of our struggles are the same and therefore how we talk about the issue is going to be the same and it's not. There are a lot of Black women and poor people in this country who have never had, poor women particularly, Mm -hmm. who have never had the ability to be a housewife and just raise a child Mm -hmm. and just see their children grow up and love them through that process and struggle with that love and learn what it means to be a part of a family and support that family. There are a lot of people that don't even have a choice, don't believe they have a choice, even though they have a choice, right? Mm -hmm. even though they're told they have a choice, quote unquote. So poverty and the inability to make a choice is a big part of this as Mm -hmm. well. Class has such a big part of women's right to choose and the access and the conversation around that. White women's feminism was different in many ways, but one of the ways was that they were fighting against, you know, they wanted the right to work and they wanted the right Mm -hmm. to not sit at home while their men made all the money and et cetera. This was like a very stereotypical narrative Mm -hmm. that we heard of white feminism. And yet there's this other narrative of black and indigenous and poor women who were just like, I'm always working. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I never have time off. I'm raising other people's kids and I can't even raise my own kids. And so this is all a part to me of the conversation around reproductive rights that we don't talk about childcare. Yep. We don't talk about support for people who choose to have children. The assumption of reproductive rights is it's just about the right to terminate a pregnancy. Nope. But it's also like once you choose to have a child, how are you supported in the society, and the system to have a child? That's what makes the choice <laughs> a choice, right? Is that you're able to have options that give you an array of things to choose from. And you can say, okay, this is the choice I want to make. But if you feel like you're being, a gun is to your head and you're not, you don't really have that much of a choice, then what choice are you really making, right? It's just a matter of survival at that point. So I think there's a lot of elements to reproductive rights that is not being brought up in the conversation mm-hmm. as it pertains to class and what that means for a country that has just not had a really good history with healthcare in general. Mm -hmm. Not having good healthcare system primarily affects women and people who are able to have children. So this is a big part of reproductive rights that I think we need to be fighting for, universal healthcare, as much as we are fighting for women's right to an abortion.
0: Yep. Yeah, and I think reproductive justice advocates did it the best when they came together to be like, there's no way we're just going to focus on people having an abortion um, solely, We actually need to focus on the whole fight for economic justice the fights for safe schools that fights for safe streets where people can choose how they want to parent if they want to parent when they want to parent. And if they yes. do decide to be parents, how do they live dignified lives while being a parent. And I think that black and indigenous leaders really incorporated land back, incorporated environmental justice and how we even see this ecosystem of fighting for abortion. And, and I think it goes back to the fact that the right wing really wants us to just harp and end our battle at abortion because they won that battleground and they believe we're just gonna get worked up over this one issue, when actually we want it all. We want a world without prisons, a world without violence, a world where people live dignified lives as parents whether they choose to be or not.
1: Mm, Yeah, thank you so much for that. I really am glad that we were able to talk to you about this because it's so important and it's something that really does impact all of us. And I'm so grateful for the work that you are doing in the world. This podcast, you know, did start with a very, um, our hope was to be able to shed light on the many ways that wellness and care really show up in society and how we have to interrogate what that looks like beyond very superficial relationship to, you know, I don't know, getting your nails done or going to a spa, et cetera. But I wanted to ask you in a world where care is our mode of operandus, where care is the focal point, in a world where you see care being the center of our society, what does that look like for you?
0: Hmm. I, I see care as the reason to continue living. I see care as... Bell Hooks's Community Care Framework, where we all are contributing to each other's growth mentally, physically, spiritually, but also collective economics. I see urban gardens a part of that care. I see food meal trains for the sick and the elderly as a part of that care. I see people pitching in to make sure we're all raising each other's children a part of that care. I see community art fairs and making sure that we're growing power locally and that we own our water resources and our food resources as a part of that care. I just feel like Philadelphia is the most beautiful example because of the way we love our community fridges and we love our neighbors. And I've been able to practice care a lot more here because of that. Like people are just so much more available for love and care in ways that I haven't seen in other cities. Yeah.
1: Lovely. Thank you so much for that. You know, this is called the sound bath. So we like to ask and inquire what sounds resonate most deeply with you. They don't even need to necessarily make you feel calm, but sounds that really resonate with you that you feel called to.
0: I would say the oud, which is a short neck boot. It's an instrument that has been used across the Muslim world, so Middle East, North Africa, and it is one of the oldest surviving instruments. But every time I hear the oud, it is like a bomb.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Sharman, for your time. Thank you, I Laja. am so, so glad that you were able to join us for your thoughts, your ideas, and the work that you're doing in the world. I look forward to meeting you soon in person and please keep us posted on other ways to be involved.
0: Thank you so much, Aja. It was a pleasure. I hope you have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. I want to shout out i need an a.com, that's a website that does not collect your personal data for anybody who wants to know how to get an abortion, where to get an abortion. i need an a.com will direct you to a nationwide directory. You can go to abortionfunds.org to find out about your local abortion fund and how to get involved if you need help paying for child care or a flight to get an abortion a national network of abortion funds will make sure that you get the care when you need it. Lastly, I wanna shout out keepourclinics.org, which is protecting access to abortion care right now by fighting for independent providers who are depending upon your support to keep providing abortion access right now. So go to keepourclinics.org to really support small community-based clinics that are keeping their doors open during this time to make sure people could get care.